Welcome to McKinsey on Insurance, a podcast featuring discussions of trends, disruptions, and strategies that are reshaping the insurance industry as we know it today. I'm Quaylen Ellingrud, a senior partner based in Minneapolis and a director of the McKinsey Global Institute. I lead our life insurance work in North America. With me today are insurance colleagues from around the world, partner Henry de Colmes-Denive, based in Paris, senior partner Alex D'Amico, based in New York, and senior partner Bernhard Kotanko, based in Hong Kong. Welcome to all of you. Today, we'll be discussing the latest research from McKinsey's insurance practice, the Global Insurance Report 2020, Creating Value, Finding Focus. The full report can be found on McKinsey.com. Just search under Global Insurance Report 2020. With that, let's jump right in. One of the biggest headlines coming from the report is that the insurance industry is struggling globally. Against the backdrop of persistent low interest rates and pricing pressures, around half of insurers globally are not earning their cost of capital. Productivity improvements have also been limited. It's particularly pronounced for life insurers and multi-line insurers, and now life insurers have the added pressures of COVID-19. Bernhard, I'd love to turn to you. Asia-Pacific saw the biggest drops in profits, especially in life insurance. How do you see the environment evolving in Asia? Thank you, Quailin. Uh, the past two years have definitely been uh, difficult and challenging for Asia. We should always note that Asia, of course, is a heterogeneous portfolio of countries. And what we have seen is um, the, a decline in volumes and profit, uh, especially in Japan, but also uh, a more challenging environment uh, in some quarters in China, and that drove down numbers overall. However, uh, Asia X Japan remains the global growth engine for insurance, especially in life and health, and we expect this to continue. But these past two years also called out the clear need for action to professionalize the business model and especially to move away from a pure capacity build model towards a much more customer needs oriented and professional model with better use of digital for better step ups in productivity. Henry, what about in Europe? What are you seeing there? Well, thanks a lot, Quailina. I think what we're seeing in Europe that is very interesting is that we see a real bifurcation between the winners and the losers after these last two years. In a way, this is a resultant of like the superstar phenomenon that we have observed at the economy level, at the city level, at the sector level, where we've got like 10% of all the firms who are capturing like 80% of the value created. And this is something that has not escaped the insurance industry. We've moved as an industry from a moderately value-creating one to a value-destroying one. And the trend is extremely strong at the company level. And that's especially the case in Europe. So what we've observed is that like there are smart players uh, that are really making some bold moves to have a, a great positioning. And so the first element that I'd like to mention is the fact that they are really reallocating their capital to some of their businesses with focus in mind, focusing where they believe they can get local scale, where they believe they can invest for growth, invest for innovation, and where they can really make improvements in their productivity. Wonderful. Thank you, Henry. You know, in the U.S., we're seeing uh, carriers do some of the same things, feeling the pressure from low interest rates, really trying to innovate on product side, um, but also being quite concerned for capital intensive products and looking elsewhere for growth. Alex, investors seem to be circling the industry. What's catching their attention? 
Well, Quaylen, you you hit on it. We're, we are seeing real movement here uh, in the industry by carriers who are looking to differentiate themselves with investors. A number of carriers have spent the uh, past few years, frankly, cleaning up their balance sheets, uh, exiting capital intensive, very opaque books of business and trying to simplify their business models and move towards more fee intensive wealth and asset management uh, types of, of products. Uh, and the carriers that have done that uh, successfully uh, have been uh, you know, fairly well rewarded here. You know, interestingly, we're also seeing the brokers take disproportionate share, economic share within the ecosystem, um, and and that really should be no surprise. Uh, you're seeing across our economy economic value uh, accrues to uh, individuals and platforms that are closest to consumers, uh, and and we don't think that the uh, insurance sector is is any different in that regard. And the third area that we're we're paying close attention to is the role of private equity in the industry. Private equity has been a major force over the last uh, few years. It has uh, enabled, private capital has enabled the restructuring of of balance sheets for publicly traded carriers. Private capital is uniquely well positioned to hold some of these longer dated, um, uh, you know, perhaps more volatile liabilities. They certainly like the uh, sticky assets uh, that, that come with these uh, books of business. And we think that that's a trend that's that's going to continue uh, and continue to reshape the industry. Alex, related to the trend of M&A, Henry and Alex, I would love to hear how quickly do you expect the trend of M&A to continue across the industry? Yes, maybe if I take this one, Alex, first. I think we expect the overall pace of M&A activity to really continue and increase in the coming years. Although we anticipate it's going to come mostly from the life side more than the PNC side. The reasons for, for it on the life side is mainly like, as you can imagine, the macro challenges, be it like in some region of the world, still some sustained low interest rates in other regions, inflation. And also we've observed a lot of challenges for carriers to really get, like I would say, attractive and sustainable ROE, which for life insurer is the main driver of market valuation. We also expect some consolidation on the PNC side, although we expect this to be a little bit less preeminent than in life, especially because there's a a real downward pressure on pricing and a real competition uh, with a lot of carriers chasing for the same type of clients. But maybe, Alex, you want to comment on the U.S. perspective on that. You hit the nail on the head. In in the U.S., we think that you're going to continue to see balance sheet restructuring uh, through M&A as well as reinsurance. But that said, there's only so far that 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 play can run before carriers uh, really do need to uh, position themselves to to think about growth. Um, As as I like to say, you can't uh, shrink yourself to glory. And so at some point, once carriers are done with the surgery on, on their back books, they'll need to start start thinking about where they're going to get you know, economically uh, accretive growth. And we think M&A will play a big role in that as well. Uh, and it's going to be not bet the company M&A, because our research has found that that rarely reliably generates uh, economic value. We think it's actually going to be uh, a series of smaller deals, more programmatic in nature. And that's going to be deals to acquire uh, capabilities, as well as access to products and markets uh, as a way to accelerate growth. 
So that's the direction that we we see uh, M&A heading, certainly a story that's going to continue to uh, permeate and shape the industry. We've talked a lot about the pressures that insurance carriers face. Bernhardt, for the CEOs very focused on value creation, what advice would you have? Yeah, in our report, we identified a total of nine strategic imperatives on how to really capture value in the future. And if I bucket those into uh, headlines, I would say the first one is really to to be bold on innovating your propositions, to be much more customer-centric, to create more segment-specific and personalized ways of advice, and also to, to tap into new segments, be it uh, retirees, be it uh, single-person households, etc. The second big bucket is really aspire 10x higher on digital transformation. And that ranges from core technology transformation to uh, the play in digital ecosystems to the creation of digital hybrid uh, distribution and advice and engagement models. And the third dimension is really to change the character, the nature of insurance companies. You could say uh, not only to do things, but also to be. And that includes the posture on ESG, that includes the posture on talent and new ways of working. And that also affects the role of the CEO as a role model in these uh, pivotal times of change. Bernhardt, I particularly like the, the theme on reimagining the culture, ESG, um, but also on talent. I think uh, many senior leaders across insurance I've seen recently have been struck by increasing attrition, and this could be used as a positive, uh, or they could have a very defensive posture. As they see attrition rates increase, you know, can you recruit talent from a broader network across the country or maybe even internationally? That's been a real challenge, particularly for real skills that are harder to find. So analytics, digital, things uh, where historically insurance carriers have had a tougher time competing against some of the fintechs, some of the insure techs to find that talent. Sorry, if I can just add to this, this is really, I think, a critical topic. And insurers need to change how they present themselves in talent markets. Uh, They need to emphasize the critical role of insurance, the value it creates for society. And that will then also attract uh, new and more diverse talent. And it's going to be important to, to be much less siloed on just looking at pure technical insurance talent. Wonderful. Alex, what about you? What advice would you have for CEOs focused on value creation? I think I would offer several thoughts here. One is think about your operating model and your uh, level of enterprise agility. I'm not talking about agility from a classic digital agile perspective, but just how quickly does the organization make decisions? How quickly and rapidly does the organization move capital and, and investment dollars across the portfolio? We believe companies that are able to do that faster have a unique competitive advantage. Uh, two, I would take a very hard look at capital allocation and make sure that where I'm allocating my capital, I'm, I'm excited um, about those uh, areas. I believe that I, I can compete to win in those segments uh, and that the underlying growth trends uh, in those segments are putting wind in my sails. Third, I would look at product innovation. We've seen uh, you know, recently, as an example, mortality uh, and longevity products in the U.S. with uh, morbidity riders uh, have been incredibly popular. Uh, we've seen the growth of RILAs uh, in the U.S. also as, as incredibly popular. 
And so we do see real returns for for uh, product innovation in this market, and that's the third area of focus. And then finally, uh, I would look very hard at my cost structure, not to to take costs to the bottom line, but actually to try to free resources uh, and create capacity for reinvestment to really try to transform uh, the, the company from the inside out. You know, the, the cost of technology is, is only going to increase, but the returns uh, for having, you know, industry-leading tech uh, we think are, are there. Uh, and the question is, in a low interest rate environment, you know, if you're a carrier, how do you pay for that? Uh, and, and that requires a real allocation of, of budget. Henri, what would your advice be for CEOs focused on value creation? So I think we've talked a lot, and, and Alex was mentioning it, about productivity at the, at the end, but I think they also need to have a real growth mindset. That's something that the industry, particularly in Europe and the, in the US, has kind of put aside a bit in the, in the last years. And we've seen that investors really are now getting much more into, like, what growth can you provide, valuing growth. And I think for that... Uh, a look at Asia Pacific is actually very interesting because that's that's the growth region, uh, uh, and it would be interesting to know, Bernard, what are Asian insurers really doing uh, to grow? What's their what their secret sauce? No, Ria, thank you. I think um, first of all, they are of course focused on the right markets, especially of course Asia X Japan, uh, both uh, China as well as ASEAN markets and India are growing fast. About fifty percent of all global growth comes from these regions. And it's also then the question of which performance metrics you really look at. In Asia, value of new business on the life insurance side uh, and overall top line growth are much higher valued and appreciated. And investors also focus more on, let's say, multiples on VUNB uh, rather than rather than just uh, return on equity. Uh, it's also visible that for many of the Asian carriers, actually their returns on equity are lower than their global peers in Europe or North America but still they enjoy uh, overall higher multiples because they, they yield uh, better growth rates. And I think that's a lesson also for European and North American carriers that it's not just about squeezing the lemon, but also about uh, further fostering growth. Bernard, it, just one question and following up on that. If, if I'm a Western carrier CEO uh, and I'm looking to participate in the higher growth rates and, and better returns that we're seeing in Asia, what advice would you have for me? Do I go organic uh, in Greenfield? Do I acquire my way in? Do I, do I JV? What are some of the lessons we're seeing? Alex, it's a great question and one that many of our clients are grappling with. I mean, it's fair to say most uh, uh, global carriers have presence in Asia Pacific, uh, some pretty big. The overall challenge is really how to go really native on this and uh, how to appreciate the diversity in these growth markets, how to build strong local franchises rather than just rolling out uh, global business models. And lastly, also how to appreciate some of the volatilities that come with it and manage the risks accordingly. Maybe if I can turn it around, um, we see um, in the US and in Europe a, a very interesting dynamic of um, how to cre create value from back books and in-force management, uh, both on the liability and on the asset side. Maybe, Alex, uh, this is something many of the Asian carriers are, are less mature in. Uh, what would be some of the learnings from there? Well, I think that the game has really shifted with the emergence of, of private capital uh, and financial sponsors who are, are buying you know, a significant portion of the books, as well as the emergence of, of new reinsurance structures. 
And as that continues to evolve, we think that we're going to continue to see uh, more restructuring through the partnerships uh, that are emerging with with uh, very sophisticated credit and private equity firms. That said, there's there continues to be parts of, of businesses, uh, blocks of, of, of businesses that financial sponsors have not uh, had the appetite to address. That's uh, portions of the uh, variable annuity space, as well as uh, long-term care more broadly. We think there, you know, that really is uh, around operational excellence, advanced analytics, and really trying to manage day in, day out what what has, frankly, been for some carriers a, an intractable problem and, and a significant drain on, on their balance sheets uh, and a significant tug on their valuations. Alex, how do you think about carriers shrinking their balance sheet and what comes next? It's a great question. Certainly in the last uh, five, six years, we have seen a particularly publicly traded carriers, less than mutuals, less of the mutuals, uh, shrinking their balance sheet. And in doing so, they have attracted uh, what we would call deep value investors who uh, are attracted to the capital return story. Uh, The challenge for many of these carriers now is once they've exhausted uh, their ability to uh, prune their balance sheets, uh, are they still going to be able to attract the interest of deep value investors or will the deep value investors rotate out of the stock and force the carriers to attract you know, new segments of investors. Um, if that's the case, and we, we think that there's a high probability that will occur at some point, these carriers really need to show growth, profitable growth, to, to attract uh, excitement and interest um, for, um, uh, for their shares. On the mutual side, interestingly, we think that as publicly traded carriers have pulled out of and back from uh, traditional life and annuities books, we think that there's actually is a, a real opportunity here for mutuals to step in and and um, and see real growth and and frankly uh, meet the uh, real need for these products. And so we think that mutuals have um, by dint of their capital structure uh, a, a unique opportunity here uh, to to help push the industry forward. It's clear that global insurers need to embrace a strategy for value creation. That's going to require a hard look at portfolios, slimming some things down refocusing on others, and making some tough decisions. Alex, Bernhardt, Henri, thank you for the discussion today. Remember, you can find the full Global Insurance Report on McKinsey.com. And I hope that you will subscribe to the McKinsey on Insurance podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening today.